kicked off. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, welcome to Law Librarian Conversations on Blog Talk Radio, the podcast about all things law library, legal bibliography, and the law library profession. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> all right, well, I don't know if I like the introduction. i got to work on it. It sounds too polished. I'm just not actually that polished. But welcome, everybody, to another exciting um podcast of uh, Law Librarian Conversations, coming to you from the heart of the heartland, Lincoln, Nebraska, the mighty Schmid Law Library, the University of Nebraska College of Law. I'm your host, Richard Leiter, um, leading off this uh, on this beautiful day in October. Fall is definitely um, showing its colors all over the place. I'm joined all over the country. This is the fun thing about this show. We have people from all over. Um, let's see. We have uh, Roger Skalbeck at, uh, from University of Richmond in the heart of uh, Virginia. Hey there. Well, Roger. Join everyone. And Elizabeth Farrell Clifford from Florida State University. Hello. Hey, did you uh, get get uh, hurricanes down there, or you dried out? We got we got the first one. We got Hermine, which was um, about a month ago now, right after um, right before Labor Day. But we did not, thankfully, get hit by Matthew. Um, but I will say, my my colleagues on the uh, the east coast of Florida, Jacksonville, and 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 further down, did did bear the brunt of Matthew this time around. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you were able to make it. Um, mm-hmm. And then in in studios, such as it is, um, Mandy Lee, a reference librarian here from Nebraska, is manning sort of our um, chat room monitor. So chat room uh, guests uh, play nice or she'll get you. She's waving. <laughs> uh, she's still getting used to the idea of radio uh, or podcasting. Why don't you put a voice behind that wave? Say hello. Okay, there she is. (laughs) And then uh, joining us is our broader panelist, regular uh, contributor, and soon-to-be TV star, Ken Hirsch. Hi, everyone. From University of Cincinnati. Go ahead. Howdy. Are you going to sing for us? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? (laughs) I can hear you now. Hello, Are you everyone. You going to sing for us? No, no, your 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 account will go down dramatically if I do. All of his answers <laughs> will be in the form in of a question. In case anybody yeah, isn't yeah. aware, can yes, <laughs> I will attempt to give all my answers in the form of a question. <laughs> yes, that's right. Ken is a um, next week, right? You're airing on Jeopardy. Yes, what is Thursday, October 27th? <laughs> there you go. Very good. I think that's the day that Ken Hirsch takes Jeopardy by storm. So I hope everybody who's listening uh, gets a chance to watch. That should be fun. Um, you've got to be the first law librarian contestant. Oh, no. no, there have been many, many, no? many, many, many. Oh, is Sarah that right? Malden, two time, Yes, Sarah Malden, two-time champion. Claire wow. Willis. 
from wow. Kent, about to go to Northwestern. Ben, if I'm getting his name right, Almoit at um, and I forgive me, Ben. I don't remember whether you're at Maryland or Baltimore, whom I was introduced to very recently, and there have been a few others. Yeah, uh, Sarah Uline from uh, King and Spalding Law Firm. She she was on it a few years ago. And then uh, last okay. week we had a three-day champion who was not a law librarian but is a legislative librarian, also from Annapolis. Uh, oh. Susan Ross, she was the contestant whom Alex jokingly insulted after she explained what nerdcore rap is, and that was a big blow-up on the Internet. <laughs> oh, no. We, we, we need to get her to come in and talk to AALL and at least be a member. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. I was actually there is a um there's a gentleman who who has an online site called the jeopardyfan.com and he has a blog, a live panel. And last last night I was listening in and and through him communicating with Susan last night. She has she's one of three librarians in her family. Yeah. Okay, so Debbie Ginsburg just uh mentioned in the chat room that Claire? Yes, Claire's at Northwestern. I did say that. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Well, that's cool. Well, I'll bet you're the only Jeopardy law librarian who is also a karaoke aficionado. Ben tells me that applies to him as well. All right. Oh, my <laughs> and and okay. is also on this very call. So there. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I, think, I, think you fin- <laughs> I think you finally made me somewhat unique, yes. <laughs> okay, there you go. And All a right, recent grandfather. And also recently a grandfather. Congratulations. Thank you very yeah. much. Yeah, somebody once told me before I became a grandfather that, you know, had I known that it was this much fun, I would have skipped the, um, the being a parent part. Um, <laughs> that That's a tricky one. Let's also let's move along. Uh, Greg Lambert is also there on the uh, call. Uh, hey, from, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, Jackson Walker. Yeah. Yep. Good and uh, last but not least, uh, Darren Fox from University of Oklahoma. Howdy, folks. How you doing? And, doing well. Um, good. Um, and Michael Roback is going to be joining us from uh, UMKC uh, sometime. So I'll be watching the control panel for um, when he calls in. Um, ordinarily, uh, everybody who's listening and uh, fellow panelists, um, we're going to, going forward, we're going to start out the show with a couple of brief sort of features. Uh, Frank Hodak. Uh, has agreed to come on and do little five-minute um, history uh, vignettes uh, about uh, history of AALL and law librarians. Um, he's visiting a grandchild. Um, um, I think that today, or he has some other plans, so he can't make it, but it will be with us next month. And then uh, Emily Feltron is also going to be joining us uh, regularly for a quick um, um, Washington Affairs update. So that should be fun. And that'll help us, um, uh, you know, with the monthly podcast to keep up. Um, but, um, you know, first, let's uh, turn our attention to um, 
a little bit of a news roundup to see if there's anything that's happened recently that uh, that we should bring to everybody's attention or that anybody has um, information about. Does anybody want to start out? Have any? Um, I have a couple of really exciting announcements uh, that I heard about recently. But somebody else have news things that they want to mention before I blurt mine out? You lead off no. and we'll join in. <laughs> yeah. So so one there's two things that I think are really cool. Um, what is it? Uh, uh, demandprogress.org just recently um, announced. In fact, I think it was might have even been over the um, or this week, maybe Wednesday, uh, the announcement of everycrsreport.com. Um, what uh, Rep- uh, Representative Quigley and Josh Tauberer and uh, demandprogress.org um, sort of grouped together and essentially, I guess you could say they're bootlegging uh, congressional um, research service reports um, and putting them up on this uh, website, everycrsreport.com. It's brand new, and its site already contains uh, 8,000 CRS reports. So that's pretty well, the cool. Fact, the fact checkers will love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And um, part of it is uh, Representative Quigley has been leading a um, – an effort for quite a long time to get some legislation that would require the Library of Congress to publish or at least make available, um, you know, more broadly, all the CRS reports. And um, so I guess this is a way of um, putting pressure on them by just going ahead and doing it. And as far as I know, it's not what they're doing since the CRS reports are not copyrighted or, you know, considered top secret or anything, they're not doing anything illegal, are they? By bootlegging them, scanning them, and putting them up? I'll well, take it's that considered as a, a work of the federal government. Yeah. Mean, not um, copyrighted. Editorially, it's not. Yeah. Right. So anyway, check it out, uh, everycrsreport.com. Um, when I checked it out, um, yesterday, it um, I noticed there was a donate or a contribute button, um, and so I've already done a little contributing. I'd encourage everybody to support this effort. Um, it's in the other bit of news that I was excited about. Um, this week was a um, uh, the oh what what is it called the Federal Depository Library. Um, conference, the big group. Uh, They met this week and the FDLP or the the GPO just announced uh, guidelines for something I'd never heard of before, the Federal Information Preservation Network, FIPNET. And uh, the idea is um, the GPO is now recruiting libraries to serve as preservation stewards, um, to participate with uh, GPO in preserving um, both uh, print and digital materials. 
So they're, um, and specifically those materials that are under the depository library program um, are eligible for discard, you know, under the depository um, library guidelines. So this FIFNET um, is enlisting different depository libraries, um, you know, to participate in preserving these materials. Uh, GPO will uh, then keep uh, track of who is committed to preserving which materials in which format. And so these depository materials that uh, depository libraries regular regularly discard you know, will now have a permanent place where they'll be preserved. I think it's pretty cool. Um, that was just announced this week, and University of Colorado Boulder um, signed up uh, just a few days ago. Um, in fact, I saw a tweet about it. It seemed to indicate that they signed up yesterday as the first institution to sign up as a steward uh, under this program. So I think that's cool. I guess I'm the only one. Nobody's <laughs> no, cheering. Yeah. And then um, I read a blog post um, on Dewey B Strategic, one of my favorite uh, blogs out there. Uh, Bloomberg BNA just launched uh, something called Litigation Analytics. Um, and, um, and I wasn't able to tell from the blog post whether – Jean wrote this blog post or somebody else on her blog did, but um, it sounds very intriguing. Um, B &N, or Bloomberg BNA is getting into the um, business and competing head-to-head -head with uh, Lex uh, Machina and uh, Ravelaw, which I guess is sort of similar as their judicial analytics. So, uh, the uh, topic of high-tech law um, as distinct from legal research uh, products is uh, something that's really growing and getting to be a bigger bigger deal. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, and if you look at um, another place, you can see a good write-up of it, and that includes um, some different screenshots than what Gene has, is Bob Ambrosi as his law sites blog where he's uh, written up a lot about it there and um, he's oh. covered sort of a, a variety of sites that have judicial analytics and kind of um, you know big data sources um, from uh, courts and um, commercial entities and things like that and um, I mean it looks pretty impressive I mean it, it's tough to know whether the sample reports that are pulled out of here are representative of the depth and um, utility of what's in there for the thing you're looking for. But at least if you look at the thing in his site, which I'll try to post to the chat room, um, it looks pretty impressive. Yeah. Well, Jean's got some great analysis. Her screenshots aren't quite as um, sharp as um, what um, what Bob was able to post. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know. I thought it was interesting, and there was an article about the um, where, where is it? Uh, the Paul Hastings uh, latest big firm to dabble in data analytics. Um, there's a good article in um, Law.com uh, from American Lawyer 
that uh, talks about it. And the, the thing that jumped out at me was that, you know, they've hired all these mathematicians and programmers to, you know, go through um, litigation documents and stuff. And what they, they talked about the um, results and the efficacy of the, of the analysis they were doing. And they said humans going through documents, looking for litigation documents in response to, you know, discovery requests and stuff is, you know, 1.8% or something like that. But with this new stuff, it was 26%. And um, I don't know. I just, the fact that the efficiency of these kind of analytics um, goes up to 26%, um, you know, is good, um, especially when you realize that, you know, under Ziff's law and other kinds of research, you know, 30% is the sort of the, the um, uh, gold standard for uh, precision and full text database searching. But it's so much less than 100%, which I think is everybody's presumption. Well, I think the added layer to this is not just, it's just not full text searching. It's actually being able to find documents that are relevant. So being able to automate part of that process, either with predictive coding or just other, you know, sophisticated e-discovery software. I think that's where, that's where it gets really impressive because you sort of start narrowing in on that, you know, fast cheap and correct you know maybe not cheap so much but right. you, know, you can kind of n- narrow in on well maybe cheap from the standpoint is you're not hiring a bunch of contract attorneys but um right, you, you know you right. kind, kind of mess with those ratios a little bit and get a better huh. success rate and it's interesting that yeah. um looking at that precision rate and and sort of the uh, efficiency metric for finding the right stuff is a really mm-hmm. big part of what the uh, narrative is that a lot of the uh, artificial intelligence vendors are pushing. Because if you go mm-hmm. to something like Ross Intelligence, just looking at this the other day, they're uh, on their main site, and, and we won't get too much into them specifically, but their main site, the tagline is, every minute you spend on legal research is time you can't bill for. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I billed a lot of legal research time when I was a firm librarian. Um, but uh, yeah. it's interesting. That's kind of where the what the talking point is. Huh. Huh. It's an interesting little uh, balance got going there, huh? Yeah. One, one of the, one of the things that I'm I'll, I'll be the naysayer here. Um, <laughs> of course, we you know you know heck, we were talking about. Uh, you know, predictive coding and and machine learning and and um, analysis for years. Uh, we had a uh, the PLL lunch. I don't know, four or five years back, uh, um, we had a panel that was discussing the uh, um, predictive coding for e-discovery, which Paul Hastings is is kind of referring to now. They're using some different words and adding some PhDs to the mix in mathematics, but um, it was said then that, uh, you know, the machine the, the, the machine was going to be able to, to pick out relevant documents better than, than the human. It was already doing it five years ago, so this is not, this shouldn't be a shocker to anybody. 
That being said, I do feel like we're somewhat in a almost a dot-com bubble with AI right now, that a lot of people are talking about it, a lot of people are saying they're doing it, but when you really kind of dig in, um, you know, it's uh, some of it's somewhat smoke and mirrors, in, in my opinion, and I think it's eventually going to get caught up. And not only that, but a lot of them are doing things with the federal dockets right now, um, but very few, if any, are doing anything with states because it's you know that that's much more uh, individualized and, and not as uniform uh, as as a federal. So you know, I, I think it it will happen, but I have a feeling we're probably going to see some companies come and go um, in the next five years. Interesting. No, I'm sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. But if you right. can buy their stock now and sell when it when it peaks, you're gonna you're gonna make a million bucks. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, anybody else have any news that they want to legal news? Let's let's stay out of the um, uh, debates or anything like that. What a downer! <laughs> I've got two so items uh, for you. Go for it. Uh, first, Debbie posted in the chat room a few minutes ago um, about the apparently ongoing. DDoS attack against uh, high-level DNS servers on the internet. Um, there was one attack well publicized this morning that supposedly was resolved, but I note that at least from my location, for more than an hour, Twitter has not been accessible. Wow. Oh no. And huh. and in and more in entertainment uh, news, but still uh, content-related. Uh, AT&T is in talks to buy Time Warner. Yes. Yep. Yeah, it, that when I read that story or that announcement, it starts to make me wonder about um, antitrust. Jeez. I mean, how how long can the supply chain go before you start getting in trouble with antitrust laws? You know, you're the creator, the the distributor and sell the equipment to, uh, or lease the equipment to uh, consume it? It seems to me like it's getting out of hand. Isn't it, and my antitrust knowledge is so uh, rough, but isn't it, you know, vertical versus horizontal, one's viewed a little bit more favorably than the other as far as monopolies are concerned? Time time Warner is now, Time Warner is only a, well, they're primarily a content provider. Uh, they do still own a couple of super stations, but they're out of the cable TV cable TV business. But of course, AT and T is very much in the infrastructure business. Mm-hmm. Well, Time Warner Cable isn't that Time Warner? No, that was divested a year ago, uh, no. or almost two years ago, and then it recently merged. With Charter, and the new name of that is Spectrum. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Who can keep up? Indeed. (laughs) Anything else? Before we move into the main event. The main event um, is our topic for the day. Oh, wait a minute. We have... A caller 
at 310. Let's see if this is Mike Roback, our other panelist. Um, so whoever's listening at area code 310, if you are just listening, uh, when I pick up the phone, just say just listening. Hello there. Caller at oh, 310. Hi, listening. Just listening? Oh, hello. Hi, yes. Yeah, I'm just listening. Thank you. Okay, good. Very good. All right. There we go. That happens. And and that's also uh, one way for people who are listening, uh, if you want to do it a little bit surreptitiously, um, you know, you just call on your phone and pretend you're having a great conversation and uh, no one will know. <laughs> I every um, After every show, I do hear from uh, or not every show, but I do from time to time hear from people who are sitting at the reference desk um, with the phone in their ear listening. So um, sneaky people, aren't we? All right. <laughs> Jeez. And John Mayer just mentioned that Slack is up and down, too. Apparently, that may also be as a result of the DDoS attack that you were talking about, Ken. Man, yeah, it's a Deb big deal. Deb Ginsburg just posted well, a link to a to an updated article on TechCrunch. Well, yeah, it, it hey, impacted us here with um, Box. We have that as a um, enterprise um, document cloud storage. Yeah, I'm, I'm blaming Russian hackers. Definitely, hey, you took the words right out of my mouth. Absolutely, it's Russia. Everybody knows. I'm just waiting for the time where I get. A student excuse like, "Oh, I couldn't turn in my I couldn't turn in my assignment because of a denial of service attack." Haven't gotten that one. Yeah, yet, but or I'm sure the cloudy my homework, right? The cloudy my homework. <laughs> I like it. A cloud that's shaped like a dog. That would even be better. All right. <laughs> so um, the topic of our conversation today is teaching tech. Uh, to law students and young lawyers. Um, Elizabeth was the one who proposed this as a subject, and so I'm going to let her I'm gonna step back a, a little bit, although I can't help myself. I've got the mic and the switchboard, so I will jump <laughs> in from time to time. But um want to listen to this conversation, and I know that uh, Darren – at the uh, University of Oklahoma has got a really tremendous uh, technology uh, in learning or teaching program uh, that's unique as, as far as I know. And then Ken has been teaching a uh, technology and law practice uh, program. And, um, and Roger's been involved in all kinds of uh, interesting uh, programs, especially like with the hackathon and, things like that up at uh, Georgetown before he moved to Richmond. So I'm going to step back a little bit and let Elizabeth uh, start the conversation. Take it away. Well, thank you. And I appreciate, you know, uh, the benevolent dictator of, of, of the mic and the, and the control panel <laughs> letting me take, yeah. take over here. Um, no, it's, I think this is a hot topic for a lot of us. I know this is something that I've been interested in, in a long time. And the more um, I talk to other librarians, I hear a lot of, um, oh, we're we're thinking of doing something, or I've been asked by my dean to do something, or I want to do something. Um, and so that's where I want to sort of kick off here, in part because now um, 
officially, I think we're now up to 25 states, Florida being the 25th, I'm happy to, to say, um, now include some kind of language in their rules of professional conduct for lawyers that, in addition to the, the overall duty of competence, being competent with technology is now part of that. Um, and so, you know, before I kind of get into the technological competency piece of it, I, I do, I think it'd be interesting to just hear what people are doing in general in their schools. So if I, you know, kind of go around the horn here um, and, and I'll start with you, Ken, if you just want to sort of introduce what you've been doing, what you're doing now, where the direction of where you're hoping to take what you're doing at Cincinnati. Sure. Um, Ten years ago this past spring, Wayne Miller and I launched our technology course at Duke, and um, we based some of that on an article we had published two years earlier, uh, of all places, the William and Mary Bill of Rights Journal, because of a symposium they had on technology and lawyers. But our course there and my uh, migration of the course here, first of all, has a lot of discussion of of ethical implications of using technology, and then it's an overview that tries to give the students a taste of uh, what using technology looks like. Uh, I always start with a history of technology, beginning with the introduction of the the PC and the Mac in the early 80s, early to mid 80s in the case case of mm -hmm. the. Mac, uh, because I like setting context and letting people know what older folks like me used to work with. And um, we all we vary things, try to add something new every year. Last year, we just did a little bit of work on using Clio Cloud. I was hoping to do um, more of that um, this semester. I haven't yet, although I've, I have given them more information. We've added the uh, tech audit that was an outgrowth of Casey Flaherty's tech audit that's um, partly hosted at Suffolk. And um, this semester, I'm also, we have a blog, uh, a law school blog, sorry, a law school, a, a law firm website for our fictitious law firm that mm. when I finish talking and mute my mic, I will post the link for it. <laughs> and this semester, I am requiring each of them to make five blog posts on that law firm website, and you can read those. They're publicly published. Um, so that's some of what we've added. Um, it, it's, <clears throat> I think, it, I don't think there needs to be uniformity in what we're all teaching, and you'll probably learn as we go across um, the conversation here that people are doing some different things. There's plenty of stuff out there to be taught and nobody can really cover it all in probably two courses, much less one. And uh, I'm sure Elizabeth and Roger will also talk some about the discussions we had at um, Subtech, which Roger mm -hmm. hosted back in July. And, and I will leave it at that for the moment. Thank you. Yeah. Um, are you, Ken, would you say, are you one of the first people to, start teaching in this sphere? You know, if you say you, you go back 10 years teaching like a law practice tech I, class? I, I believe we are among the first, yes. I will not okay. claim to be, the, but among the first or among the among. earliest in any case. Okay. Um, and 
sort of moving around then to uh, Darren at Oklahoma. Do you want to provide us kind of an overview of what you're you're doing? Yeah. Absolutely. So we um, we took a little bit different approach. Um, we we um, we do want to uh, teach a law practice technology course, um, just like Ken is doing. But um, just, we started this off two years ago, so we're we're in our third year, and we call our project the Digital Initiative. And it, it comes from a uh, main campus committee that was looking for technology projects to, to fund and, and sponsor on campus to kind of move, move technology forward in the individual colleges. And so that's what we call it. And there's kind of three prongs to it. Um, the first one is that we have a common platform for all of our students. So we, we did some research um, and decided on the iPad Air and a Zag Folio keyboard case. And we got a grant to um, buy those for the entire student body. So we gave everyone wow. an iPad, and we got so that was a you know that was a three hundred thousand dollar you know initial uh, initial buy-in, and then we got um, agreement from the university or support from the university to do this for five years. So we're in the third year of five years doing this, and the common platform was uh, you know was is great because. All you know, all the professors, all the instructors, and everything that we do, we know everyone's got that same technology, and of course, you know, most of them have. Virtually everyone has laptops coming in, um, whichever their preference is, and so um, there's the common platform, and then we we have a technology training program, which I can describe real quick, and then the third element is we just finished a 1.5 to 2 million dollar uh, renovation of the library, which was focused solely on promoting technology training, promoting, facilitating the use of technology by the students, you know, in collaboration, individual use, and by the faculty and the curriculum. So those are kind of the three elements of it, the sort of common platform, the training that we do, and then, um, you know, updating the facility um, with all of that in mind. And so, you know, as we look kind of at the background, we decided let's let's use this this vehicle, the iPad, because we knew of apps like TrialPad, and you know, Office 365 was coming out, and Rocket Matter, and you know, you can think of a lot of a lot of different apps. Uh, it, kind of looking at the background, um, we saw that tablet use was growing in firms, and so that was sort of the initial vehicle for starting the project and doing some technology training. And then so our, our, our training program is, uh, you know, and we were very lucky to hire uh, Kenton Bryce. He's our digital resources librarian. So he was, a, he was a, an absolutely fantastic addition and is a big part of making this project go because he was in Dallas and he was essentially sort of the managing associate at a six-person firm. And he was doing all the technology um, for that firm. So he's a grad of ours, and he just happened to be in library school, and we found him. And so he's come up here, and he's, you know, um, very techy. And um, so it's great when you have the staff, you know, also here, um, sort of technology-inclined staff, people on campus, people in, in the law school um, to kind of make it go. But the bottom line of our training is that we do um, – we do kind of three different things. We do so all students in this program are require, required to attend three training sessions per year. So our, our hope was that at a minimum folks would kind of get out of here with, you know, ten training sessions plus whatever curricular integrations are happening in their courses. And um, so that's kind of the baseline. And then we see that, you know, 
40% of the student body does more than they really have to, and then you have sort of 10, 20% that do way more, you know, do go to like 20, you know, 10, 20 sessions a year, and they're getting a lot of training. And so what we do is we do two lunchtime training sessions per week, every week. Um, we have a bunch of online uh, training videos that we've created, and then we work with the faculty and do curricular integration. So I teach trial pad to all the trial techniques courses. Um, we've, we've taught it to you know, other courses that want to do that kind of uh, thing. Kenton teaches, he's a, like a Word, a Microsoft Word master. And so he does integration with all the, with the, you know, the first year legal writing class to, to actually take all the brief writing and stuff that folks do and, and make them efficient use, you know, users of Word, which seems like a pretty simple thing. But, you know, it's just like the stories that you see around about digital natives, you know, really don't know how, I mean, they know how to use Facebook, then, you know, you've all read the stories, but they don't know how to use styles. You know, they don't, mm -hmm. most folks don't know how to use that stuff when they come into law school. And so now everybody that comes, now we're in our third year, so we've had, you know, so now everybody that comes through the first year research and writing program will be taught how to use styles and how to use templates and, and uh, you know, how to actually do internal references and stuff and not do this stuff ma manually. Um, and then, so you can interrupt me if you want, because I can go on talking about this for well, I'm curious. You said you're now in your third year, so you've you've graduated students that have gone, or are they in their third year now? No. So when the first year that we did it, we we uh, you know had the entire student body with iPads. So yeah, oh, we graduated okay. two classes, but we're just about to graduate the first class. You know, this next summer we'll graduate the first class that's been through three years of this. So they've you know they've all done uh, you know the minimum uh, at least the minimum. Um, and they've all experienced some amount of uh, curricular integration of the technology training too. So, yeah. Have you gotten any cool outcomes, either, either form like you know, actual sort of qualitative outcomes, or or, or even some anecdotal <laughs> information, like what you hear from graduates that have had this experience? Certainly, anecdotal stuff. Um, okay. You know, so you get pictures. We we need to actually step back. It's been sort of two years of building the program. Mm -hmm. And uh, the first year we did it sort of, I was, we yeah. hadn't hired Kenton yet. So I was trying to make it, make it go. And then we got Kenton in mm -hmm. the second year. So now we need to step back and, and do some, some studies and do some outreach to, to graduates. But you get a lot of anecdotal stuff. Like you'll see, you'll get pictures back from uh, students that are sitting like in a county courthouse and there's no technology in the courthouse except for like, a 60-inch monitor on a wall, and they're mm -hmm. sitting they're sitting there under the monitor with like a cable hanging down, and their iPad on their lap while their boss is up, you know, doing some criminal case, and they're running the evidence for the trial on trial pad, which those are kind of fun, fun examples to see. Mm -hmm, mm hmm So they're making they're making an impact, you know, right out of the gate. Then it, you know. <laughs> Whether, yeah. whether that was intended or not, you know, being on the, you know, wiring up everything in the courtroom. Um, I got to ask, too, just because I saw some pictures from, I think, was it just mall that happened in your mm -hmm. neck of the woods? Yeah. Um, some, I saw some pictures of some of the renovations you did. Um, and, and I got to ask, what, you had some virtual reality set up? Can you That's share right, about, yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated to hear about those. 
Yeah, so while I'm talking, if, you know, if the listeners want to watch the video, if you just pull up a browser and go to Google and just Google OU Law Videos and look for the one that's called Digital Initiative um, Leading Through Innovation, something like that. It's a three-minute, uh, three, four-minute video that walks you through our new space and shows you the different features of it. And you're right, one of the features that we have in there, and you'll actually see pictures of it if you look at the video, is that we had these two virtual reality stations built. And it's just what you would think. It's, it's the Samsung Oculus. It's got the, the leap uh, motion sensors where, you know, if you put your hands out in front, you know, your hands can then manipulate what's happening out in space. And, um, you know, the, the sort of, this is all very sort of forward-looking, and it's designed to get students to be thinking about the future of evidence um, presentation, evidence demonstration, and you know, you can just you can start to see like if you just Google and look for the stories about Auschwitz. So there was just a, a there's been a story in the news just in the last couple months about um, ongoing um, prosecutions of um, people that were involved in the concentration camps, and I, so they've they've gone and made a, a virtual reality uh, you know model of Auschwitz and kind of using it for the, um, the folks who are evaluating the facts to kind of actually see the perspective of whether, you know, this person who was, say, a bookkeeper working in some part of the camp could have actually seen what was happening from where they were into other parts of the camp. Mm. And so, yeah, yeah. And so that's kind of the idea is, and actually the if Michael comes on the call, um, just at the mall conference, we saw a demo, you know, it's so easy now to capture the 360-degree video, sort of the extreme sports people kind of led the way, you know, with all the, all those uh, cameras that you wear. And now you can go and buy, you know, $275 uh, cameras, like there's the Kodak uh, Pix Pro, I think it's called, and there's, um, there's a 360 Fly, and, you know, some of these are kind of, you know, you find them over in the extreme, you know, sort of in the GoPro area of your Best Buy, but um, Michael from UMKC um, did a session and, and just showed us what you could do if you recorded, like, um, like in, a, in a courtroom with voir dire happening, mm -hmm. and, you know, you could do this with a composite kind of video of, like, four different video cameras, but with virtual reality, you could put yourself right in the middle of the room, you can turn your head, look at the person, the, the attorney who's doing the questioning, and then just turn your head and look at any of the jurors and see what their reaction is to the questioning. Or, you know, turn your head and look and see what the judge is doing or your, the opposing counsel or anybody in the room. You know, you have the flexibility of looking to see what's happening at any given wow. time while you're watching. So it, it's those That's kind of things scary. that we're thinking about with the uh, VR, yeah. <laughs> that's fan that's that's incredible and i definitely want to circle back and and and, and touch on some of the stuff that you raised but um i do want to ask sort of we're getting a couple of different different experiences here what ken has done and, and what you've done um roger i didn't know if you you want to share a little bit about your experience and maybe if you're doing something at georgetown or, or what you did at, at or i mean what what you're doing at Richmond, and if you want to touch on what you did at Georgetown. Yeah, I'll talk real briefly, then I'd love to um, 
to get, I know Greg and others are here and we can mm-hmm. talk with each other, but I'll tell you briefly what we've done at Richmond. And it's kind of, it's interesting. It's sort of a hybrid of some of the things that Ken have done and some of the things that um, Darren has done, and which, which um, I guess supports Ken's point of there's no one way to do it and there's lots of things that we you know, can and should be trying. So briefly mm-hmm. what we're doing is before I started here a year and a half ago, we had a funded program where all of our clinics um, were given the opportunity for people, the students participating in them, to get iPads. And we were using Clio as a practice management software program so that um, we figured you know, the technology in practice uh, would be the best way to do it. We, we didn't have something on the scope of um, something we could provide to all of our students, but everybody in the clinics had the opportunity to to do that, and then we kind of focused on some core apps and some core experiences, and the subject matter of each of the um, clinics is slightly different, so, you know, the way it's applied is different. What we have started to do this year that, that is working out pretty well, and we're kind of waiting to see how it plays out, is that through mobile device management, we can have it that we buy apps in a model similar to what Darren does at Oklahoma, but they're not issued on iPads that the students retain. They're issued on the ones that people check out, or we can, through a um, bring-your-own-device model, um, install a client where um, things like TrialPad and some of the other things he mentioned um, are given to students for the duration of a clinic, which for the most part are a single semester, and in rare occasions it goes to a second semester. So we do that. Real briefly, the other two things that we do um, is that we have, I think for the fourth year in a row on the past spring, and then we'll do one next spring, held a technology boot camp where we have kind of a hands-on um, thing uh, geared at third years, but incorporating um, experiences of second years and, and in particular these clinical students that looks at what are some topics in um, the way that technology is transforming law practice and the way that people should be thinking about going into the practice of law that we can pack into a single day's event. So that's typically people talking about digital marketing, ethics of getting online, social media, um, and we did have Casey Flaherty, um, I think in the very first one, had done something remotely in kind of the tech audit area um, as well. And then the last thing we're doing, um, and I think we're doing a few others, but the last one to mention is we also have, similar to what I had done at Georgetown, where students build apps um, using a, um, an expert system platform. They're doing a, a smaller-scale program of that here at Richmond where students work in a subject area um, to learn doctrine and also build a tool that sort of applies the doctrine in a client or you know, public-facing way that people explore um, what that is and actually get sort of an end result of based on certain set of factors or certain set of circumstances, what the outcome would be uh, for them personally in that area. Well, that's interesting. And, and your mention of the legal tech audit, and, and that's come up a few times, I, I guess it's a nice, I'm going to jump on that as a, as a segue into what I want to sort of touch on next is just sort of overall looking at requirement to be technologically competent and I think we're since we're all doing different things um, and, and and like Ken said I think very very well that you know 
there's not one way to do this. And in fact, you know, all these little things that we're all doing and sometimes big things um, are all making an impact, but I'd really love to sort of get it, you know, the opinions, um, especially of, you know, Greg and those who see lawyers in practice regularly about sort of what, what does technological competency look like? Are we talking about like specific skills, like what the legal technology audit, um, really gets in into the weeds about about certain skills or are we talking more about like overarching themes about like understanding privacy and communications issues and, and all those sort of things so i'll just open that up and let someone grab that and, and run with it well for for me this is greg um the thing that that we're seeing when uh when uh, fall associates show up, and, and somewhat when we have summers, um, is just the, <laughs> they're they're consumers of technologies and not users of technologies. Um, if that makes sense, and, and so um, they know how to entertain themselves. <laughs> they can do they can do that you know better than anyone. Um, but uh, we're really seeing a lack in in just core technology skills, and so I'm gonna harken back to something um, that uh, it, it was either Darren or, or Roger or somebody else said, maybe, maybe it was Ken. Um, you know, I, what, what we want them to show up being able to do is all the basic stuff. Understand Word, understand PowerPoint, understand how to do PDFs, um, you know, some, some knowledge of spreadsheets. And I know that's, that's not sexy, it's not glamorous. <laughs> But but good grief, it's so necessary, um, and and those are things that that people are showing up. And I don't know how that they're getting through a minimum of seven years of college, and are still showing up with you know very limited basic skills on on these core products. Um, and it's not everybody. It's a, but we're we're actually spending the the we did this year. We, um, uh, with with very few exceptions, the first three weeks that our fall associates showed up here, they could not be assigned to any uh, any matters until they had gone through all of their technology and other training uh, here. And so, um, you know, we're and, and again, that's only three weeks. If you look at some of these financial firms, they you know they spend three months or six months. Uh, getting mm-hmm. everyone up to speed before they turn them loose, uh, you know, <laughs> to bill a, a client. Um, but that, you know, that's a, a, a different industry. Um, in, in that but, sense, Greg, can, stu- can um, associates um, test out of it? Can they say, uh, yes. like, "Hey, yes, let me show you what yes. I can do"? Yes. Well, not the not the first three weeks because we want okay. to make sure everyone one is it's it's more of a socializing as well as a training. Uh, okay. um, and so and it's three weeks, so they you know can suck it up for three weeks to to do this just to make <laughs> sure they're billing on that fourth week. Yeah, um, but they also have a a, a year long um, training plan that they're given. Um, most of that is online, or or they can take uh, in in the time that they have, um, but they have to hit certain benchmarks in you know the first. Th- uh, three months and then six months, nine months a year. Um, 
and they can test out of that. There's uh, a lot of those are online, and the first thing they can do is um, take the take the example at the at the front. If they are able to pass it, then they don't have to take that, and so they can move on. Um, but hey, it's, Greg, it's still surprising how how much they don't know. Go ahead. Greg, this is Darren. Um, so we we just joined um, LTC4.org, which is uh, a uh, technology uh, certification program for lawyers. Um, and uh, have you had a chance to look at that? I mean, do you do you think that they're? I'm kind of curious what you think about their curriculum. If you've had a chance to see it. I don't think. What I've was that seen called that again? One. LC what? LTC4. LTC4. Is the organization? I'll throw a link in the in the chat room. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, and and I'm being a, I'm probably being a little over uh, dramatic here on this. Um, I mean, everyone has certain skills that they've done, but what what and I and I uh, Darren actually invited me to speak to uh, one of uh, one of his lunch uh, gatherings. Uh, for the students there at OU, which uh, yeah. is, uh, is my alma mater, and um, you know that was the thing I stressed to them is if if you can if you can show up or you can be the person that knows these core items, then you're going to be the person that's going to be doing all the you know if that's what you want to do, you're going to be the person that they're going to to do all the cool stuff that comes in. So when they when they do want to try out. Uh, litigation packages or artificial intelligence or uh, in, any of these, you know, whiz-bang products, then you're going to be first in line. But you kind of got to prove yourself yeah. with the core stuff first before you can jump into the to the really, really cool stuff. Hey, Greg, this is Darren again. Just one quick comment. I know we all think that, you know, being able to do styles in Word doesn't sound sexy, but I got to tell you, as someone who watches people uh, learn how to do it and be able to do it when they're faced with writing a brief or, you know, uh, using uh, uh, a form builder program or something to generate a form. Once they actually do it, they think it's sexy. I mean, they yeah, are, yeah. they're <laughs> psyched about being able to do it efficiently. Yeah, um, that's true. And, and, pro and, I, and I think you're right. I think you've hit on something that once they see what it, what it can do and the time that it can save them, um, but it's, it's kind of like um, – you know, uh, training training somebody to do a job that you've done for a long time, where you say, "Well, it's just quicker for me to do it this other way than it is to take the time to learn it." Um, it whether that's true or not, um, a lot of times we get that, and we so we've had you know over the years people that will continue. You know, these are the these are the reasons that the Casey Flaherty's of the world are are there. You know, um, is that there are people that go, "I don't have time to learn how to be efficient," is what they're really saying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, hey, Elizabeth, uh, I have a question for you. The you mentioned, and there is something in our show notes about Florida adopting standards, tech standards. Can you uh, well, describe what those? Go ahead. Sure. We don't have tech standards per se, but we are. I mentioned before that we're the 25th state to now mandate. Uh, are included in the rules te technological competence, but we are actually the first state uh -huh. now um, to require um, technology-oriented CLE. So um, as part of the ongoing CLE requirement for attorneys, here in Florida, it used to be a 30 hours 
over the course of three, every three years. Now it is 33 hours, three of which have to be a technology-focused CLE. Um, and I'm, I'm uh, really looking for – and I believe all these rules go into effect January 1. So no one has to do – no one's doing the technology CLE right this minute, um, but that will be rolling out soon. And I'm, I'm, I'm anxiously waiting what form that will take because we have a really interesting and vibrant um, – technology sort of legal technology uh sort of presence here in florida some you know a lot of consultants and practitioners that are really doing some interesting things so we'll we'll see where that mm-hmm. leads okay but i'm sorry Thanks. i didn't want to <laughs> pull away um yeah no that's it. i'd love to know i mean we're kind of jumping around here but uh you know when we talk about doing this technology thing and, and maybe looking at uh, whether it's the technology training that, that your firm does, Greg, or or what you're doing, Darren, um, looking at the LTC4 materials, how how do you implement this in practice? Is this something that your sort of your organizations are creating your own training? Are you working with vendors, or are you getting, you know, doing things like Lynda.com self-paced training? How how are you teaching all of this? You you want to start, or you want me to start, Greg? Uh, Darren, you go ahead. Okay. So, yeah, this uh, this is um, something that has evolved over time. And, you know, it, it takes a combination of, you know, um, having – so having Kenton, you know, with his real-world experience, you know, just uh, fresh out of uh, being sort of uh, the, the center um, – in the center of things as an associate in a small firm and having to do everything himself and, and run everything – that that's that's incredibly helpful experience to to give to the students and then you know having folks you know on campus which i guess what you have to be careful so you know greg has come to speak um we have two fantastic people in the oklahoma bar association jim calloway and darla jackson who are also going around our state doing technology training and they are mm-hmm. they are you know friends of ours and come and and speak to our students and that's incredibly helpful. And then creating relationships with uh, the legal technology vendors. So, um, you know, the folks at, at Thomson Reuters, the folks at, uh, you know, Rocket Matter, um, everybody, Ravel Law, you can name a whole bunch of people. Uh, we want to train our students on, you know, as many of those platforms, expose them to as many of those platforms as possible. So a combination of, you know, having two folks here at OU, me and Kenton, that, that, can, that folks can come to with, with questions and where their support. We do a lot of the training uh, ourselves, but we also use the vendors and very selectively. Yes, the thing you have to be most selective about is sort of, you know, the general kind of training options that you might get from, say, somebody on, you know, some, some just uh, someone who's not, not law-focused, I think mm-hmm. you really have to do some coaching of those folks because it, what lawyers want to do with Word um, and what lawyers want to do with their iPad is is somewhat more uh, specialized um, than just sort of general use of, say, even Microsoft Office. So that's the thing you kind of have to be careful about because you can, you can lose people if you're just kind of coming at them very generally. They want to either know you know, how this, how this helps me as a law student or how, how it's going to help me as a practicing attorney. For, Great. Uh, this is Roger. Uh, for the advanced legal research course I'm teaching in the spring, um, 
a couple of things I'm going to try to do to incorporate this is um, start out uh, with forms research, and I'm going to give each, probably divide them into three groups or some something like that, and give each um, set of students a form, one of them probably in PDF format, one actually auto-numbered and set up to have a structural way to do things, and another one that's totally haphazard with lots of tabs and spaces and things. And then it'll be first to analyze it, look at the way the law impacts it, research it, and then rewrite it where they're having to redraft claims and move things around and do things, and then talk about the experience of people who got the bad document versus people who got the one that was actually structured and things like that. So trying to find a way to incorporate less about talking about here's what to do with Word and more about, well, here's the style of a you know, document you may be presented with that you have to deal with. And you'll pull things from practical law and stuff like that. Um, and then um, another thing um, that we're looking at doing is trying to, because um, um, a lot of what they want to do for this course is, is have it be writing focused um, in terms of the output and have it be writing focused that's coached with multiple versions where we'll have um, one example of writing something that's a fairly traditional structured memo with headings and things, and then turn that into then, you know, client newsletter, where you mm -hmm. use leverage the power of styles in Word to make everything look really snazzy and, you know, borders and, you know, rotated text and things just by transforming the styles versus, um, you know, having to do all of the sort of formatting that way. So, well, I don't know, you know, if those are too narrow of an example, but I think it's it's um, good to think about how is uh, how can you get the opportunity to integrate technology in a non-tech course? Because not everybody teaches tech courses, and if you offer a tech-specific course, you probably can only get a even even at a big school like Georgetown, you get you know at most 15 students in a semester, maybe. Mm -hmm. So it's nice with with Darren's example. He's got you know everybody at the, the school to do it. So I think that's helpful. That's great. Did anyone else want to weigh in how you're teaching this, how you're introducing this material? Yeah, this is Greg again. In in the, mm -hmm. in at least my firm, uh, one of the things we do there there are some online courses that uh, we have set up. We have a um, we call it university site, um, that there are some, you know, short videos that they can take and it, and we track whether or not they're actually, um, you know, uh, watching the, the videos. Um, <laughs> and, um, I think there's some, some cues that kind of like a, you know, online CLE where there's some cues that, that pop up every so often so that they have to click through, um, now, now I'm sure you know one of the, one of the things even for a non-technology uh, uh, lawyer, um, one of the things they're really good at is cheating the system. So um, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of like I tell my kids, no. you spend you, you spend 20 minutes trying to get out of a five-minute task. Um, <laughs> but uh, so we we track it that way. All of the the uh, practice and they're set up on a practice group uh, level, so. You know, um, bankruptcy attorneys are are given different types of training than intellectual property or litigation. Um, so it's uh, and it's monitored, uh, sent up either to the practice group leader or their 
uh, designee to to monitor those, and it's part of their annual evaluation. They they actually have to show up with that information in hand uh, when they go for their evaluation, whether or not they've they've completed the tasks or not. So and that affects their evaluation. That's. I think that's that's interesting that tech is now part of that. Um, I, I'm curious to sort of sort of maybe for people that are listening. I mean, everyone here that is on the call is already sort of they're they're already waist deep in tech. They're they're savvy with it. They're they're trying to do things at their school with it. But how for the people that are listening that are maybe they don't have. Uh, anything going on at their schools or they want they're at their libraries and they want to get their libraries more involved in in that sort of pushing technology mission what are some thoughts or, or recommendations or cautionary tales or anything like that for people that are wanting to get something going at their schools any thoughts lessons learned I'll um, share one example that um, I have um, no ownership of, nor do I have any um, experience with, but we heard about it at the um, the subtech conference that we hosted here at Richmond, which was some of the things um, that they do up at uh, Vermont Law School. And mm -hmm. I think we talked about this briefly in one of the sessions at AAAL, um, which is uh, if you don't have a technology course, and until you do, find ways to integrate it into other courses and find even ways to, and this is really kind of focused on the assumption of you are teaching or you have some role as a librarian and you're at a law school or you have some role in, you know, a legal employer or law firm or whatever. Find ways to incorporate it into doctrinal courses or find ways to, say, offer to be a guest lecturer or to fill in if you know that somebody's talking at a lecture or going off and they're going to be out of the office type of thing. Specifically, the example that we heard about that was, I think, um, in the area of contracts was a faculty member was going to t teach at a, a conference and he was you know, in a cancel class or reschedule. The offer was, well, let me take this class for you. And then um, what, the, what happened was somebody came in and talked about document automation talked about, you know, if you're writing contracts, you know, the leverage that you get from creating things so you can um, mass produce things, so that you can actually, you know, use document automation software. And I thought the kind of brilliant and extremely simple example to use in a, you know, big class setting was to set up a Mad Libs example. So you basically hmm. walk in, you ask people for give me a plaintiff, give me a defendant, give me whatever. I mean, you either you do it legally or you do it, you know, straight Mad Libs kind of thing, and you fill it all out, and then you present this thing. You say, look what we just did. This is document automation. Now you write an algorithm to do it or you create a macro to do it, and voila, you're extremely efficient, and you understand the power of the creation side of things. Hmm. Other... Um, yeah, I just want to respond from um, the perspective of a school that we don't offer anything uh, formal. And, and part of the reason why is um, it's resource. It's a resource challenge. And, Absolutely. Um, you know, you need people to do it and you need um, 
equipment and software that, um, um, you know, to use this stuff or to, to practice it. And so that's my big challenge is yeah. um, finding the resources. I'm, I'm really jealous of uh, Darren be able to just say, oh, yeah, we got a, you know, $300,000 grant and a million dollars to renovate the library. I mean, um, there's a lot of stuff I'd do if I could find those resources. That's, that's, I think, is the biggest challenge of technology yeah. that we're all facing. Yeah, Rich, I mean, you're absolutely right. This is Darren. Um, so this is our third year. So for the last two years, I've been getting occasional calls, you know, from folks saying, hey, uh, how do you do this? And we want to do something like this, too. And I kind of walk them through, and you're right. I mean, it helps immensely to have, I mean, our dean, uh, Joe Harris, is very forward-looking. Um, he's very open to technology. If you have something like that, it, it certainly makes it easier to do even a small project. It doesn't have to be a school-wide project, but it certainly does help to have you know a dean who's open and encouraging. If you have some, and I've been trying to think the best way to answer this, and there's kind of a spectrum, I think, as, as kind of Roger's describing. Um, there's sort of a spectrum of, of what you could do, and and um, some, you know, as librarians, we have, you know, I, just with our, our our background over the last sort of 25 years of having so much technology in libraries, we 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 most of us have a pretty good background. Um, as I said before, it, I think when you're going to do a project like this, you definitely have to realize that you are committing yourself to learning uh, a bunch of stuff about law practice technology if you don't already know it. Um, mm -hmm. Whether that's just, you know, whether that's sort of competitive intelligence pieces that overlap with a legal research course or whether you want it to be um, sort of, um, as Greg says, sort of Microsoft Office, more advanced functionality that you want to try to bring into a legal research and writing course that many of us have, you know, already have access to. Start, start small that way. Um, show them how, you know, legal research and writing can match with, with technology to make you more efficient in that part of your job that you know you're going to be doing a lot of for the first five years of your career at most firms. Um, so, I mean, I, but I do think, you know, but anyway, those are just, just a couple of ideas. I mean, another way I guess you could do yeah, it would yeah, be yeah. sort of the trial pad or transcript pad or um, something like that. If, you, if you're a computer services librarian or an electronic services librarian, you wanted to try to kind of branch out into and become a resource for other faculty. Um, you could start with a small, a small piece like that, maybe in evidence courses or something like that. Okay, I think that we have uh, Michael Robeck uh, on the line with us. Uh, Michael, is that you? It is me. I'm sorry, I'm so late. Hey. Uh, faculty, faculty oh. can be helpful and not all at the same time. I'm kidding. <laughs> Love my faculty. All right. Well, so Michael Roback, uh, yeah. welcome to the program. We only have uh, 20 minutes left, but we've got um, just quickly uh, Darren Fox, Greg Lambert, Roger Skalbeck, Elizabeth Farrell, um, Ken, and myself uh, on the line. So, welcome to the show, Elizabeth. Take her away. Oh, sure. Well, I wanted to – I don't know if you've been listening for a few minutes, Michael, but we were kind of going around and talking about 
each of our schools what we've been doing, um, what we have been doing, what we maybe hope to do. And I know you have done some really interesting things um, at your school, and I was wondering if you'd kind of share and give us a little overview of what's happening there. Uh, sure, I would be happy to do that. Um, so we've kind of taken a um, – not scattershot, but we're trying a lot of things sort of all at the same time uh, in part to see kind of what what uh, can fly and also because um, we have some really unique opportunities here in Kansas City. Um, I want to – I'll preface uh, what I'm about to say by saying, for those of you who don't know, Kansas City was the first Google Fiber city in the United States. And Google being here has actually created a whole bunch of interesting technology opportunities uh, for the city. And so um, as part of what we've been doing, one of, the, one of the things we've been doing is we created a class called Law, Technology, and Public Policy, where we partner with uh, the Kansas City Mayor's Office, um, specifically the Chief Innovation Officer for Kansas City. Uh, there's an Assistant City Manager for Entrepreneurship that we've also partnered with. And then we, our third partner is the Code for America Brigade that's here in Kansas City. And our class revolves around uh, really civic entrepreneurship, civic hacking, it's kind of designed to be an extended hackathon. So we take a we we've taken projects from the city that require um, a look at uh, you know potential technology uh, to help uh, help with the the problem, but also our law students and it's I should also say it's interdisciplinary. Uh, we have uh, our business school, our computer science and engineering school, um, our uh, urban planning and architecture school, all have students that we draw from for this class. And and so um, the thing the law students are also heavily involved in is helping look at the uh, municipal code and the ordinances uh, to see if they're in the way, uh, especially when it comes to new technology stuff. So we've had projects that have ranged from, uh, you know, the sharing economy and helping the city draft new regulations to deal with um, new entities like an Uber or Airbnb um, to helping with the abandoned property. We have a particularly bad abandoned property situation here in Kansas City, I mean, like so many cities. Uh, but we're looking for ways to uh, not only help investors and developers have a technology tool that helps them locate parcels uh, and then figure out what to do with them, but also uh, link up all the multiple organizations that are all working on this project but don't seem to know that they're each working on it, to creating an education portal for people who want to um, tr or to try and take an abandoned or vacant property and, and turn it into a home or turn it into some uh, community garden or those kinds of things. So it's been a really wide-ranging, really interesting opportunity. Um, on top of that, we've also, um, like I suppose uh, many schools, or about I guess 35% of the schools, have started an e-discovery course um, that's taught by one of our local litigators um, who runs the national e-discovery practice for the firm. Uh, it's uh, Hush and Blackwell. And I, like others, we use um, uh, relativity um, in that uh, particular course. Um, we, we've started a legal hackers group that meets up. Uh, it's part of the meetup of the sort of uh, um, nationwide legal hackers group. And right now we've got a project where we're teaching coding to lawyers or teaching coding for lawyers uh, that has a mix of law students and then new practicing attorneys. Um, and I think, like, I know Darren uh, has been working with LTC4. So we've been, uh, we have also um, become an LTC4 
member and are trying to figure out how to do some of these basic uh, technology competencies, either, both as a standalone sort of self-paced, self-instructed thing. And then a course that Paul Collister, uh, my director, who I'm sure I think you all know, uh, and, and I teach that's really kind of a law practice management course. Two-thirds of it is document assembly, and then one-third is working with um, law practice uh, management stuff, so Clio and other kinds of tools. Um, so those are some of the initiatives we've got underway here um, at UMKC. And we're really focusing in the next year on this technology, trying to figure out what this technology competency means. Um, I know uh, Roger has, has been working on this. Um, you know, is it – how do we go about teaching that even, right? It's it, it's it's um, an interesting area. And then I will say, too, that we have been able to kind of um, – use as a constituency, and this is not something I don't think a lot of people think about, but the administrative staff kind of throughout the law school actually need as much help with Word, Excel, and other things. So we found sort of a way to work them into the whole uh, how do we go about teaching and training and making things more useful around here at the law school generally. So not only are we trying to help the students, we're trying to help the law school become uh, more productive as an organization. Um, but anyway, those are some of the things I'm kind of rambling. Sorry about that. Um, that we've got no, going I, on at UMKC. Yeah, yeah, don't apologize at all. I think it highlights um, because everyone that's been talking here has brought different things to the table that just sort of illustrate that we're all doing different things. And, and um, again, that there's not one perfect way to do this or even or even there, there should be one way to do this. Um but I, I want to also, since we are, you know, kind of winding down on uh, on our time here, I want to sort of move the conversation to for, for those of us, anyone listening right now, or for the future, or even among us, like for for people, for you know, a lot of us come at this that we are law librarians first. Some of us, you know, come from a technology background, either self-taught or before before law school or before librarianship, but others that um, that they want to just sort of learn more, you know, maybe they need to, you know, have some either formal or informal networking or education. And I wanted to talk about the different opportunities that are out there, um, whether they're conferences, communities, people to follow, people, you know, organizations to be a part of. I mean, LTC4 has been been uh, name dropped, but I didn't know um, what people's experiences are. Um, people mentioned the Subtech Conference, and I do, we can talk about that. Um, I do want to talk about the ABA Tech Show, too, and especially I want to get Michael's, <laughs> Michael has some stuff to share about that. Um, but I just want to open it up. Where, what have people found helpful as far as either learning or finding communities to sort of network with? Let me jump in here. This is Ken. John Mayer reminds us that one of the outgrowths of Subtech is a, a community that uh, he set up on Classcaster, and in the chat room he put the link. It's techforlawstudents.classcaster.net. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh no! Thanks for thanks for mentioning that. What a well, I'll jump in and just say uh, we should give a shout out to you, Elizabeth, for the flash <laughs> meeting you had at AA-L at the last meeting, um, which had quite, I mean, what, about 30 or so people, um, yeah. I think, showed up. Um, but I think that's the community that is one place to start uh, with this. But 
Um, uh, the other, I mean, the other one that I, well, the ABA Tech Show has been kind of a, actually, I have to say, I've been going to the ABA Tech Show since 1991, which is oh, wow. almost all of its 30 years. I mean, on and off, not every year, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, uh, I've been going a long time. So I think it's, I think it's an interesting opportunity. And I don't know if this is the right time for me to talk about the tech show, Elizabeth. No, please do. And if you could, for those of you who have not been to the tech show, maybe give us a little background on what it is and what they might expect if they go. Okay. Uh, actually, this year, uh, 2016 tech show, which happens typically in mid-March, um, was the 30th tech show. Um, it's been around for a while. Um, and so um, it's really more geared to uh, solo small firm attorneys and practitioners. Um, the the bigger show that's in New York and on the West Coast, Legal Tech, is really more of a e-discovery kind of big law uh, kind of event. ABA Tech Show is really aimed at, at lawyers who are practicing in, in, in uh, smaller offices who need to understand and work with technology. Um, and it also is kind of a cross range. It's not just lawyers. There's also a lot of folks who work in the consulting business, the tech consulting business, uh, who are heavily involved with it. Um, but it's a three-day uh, – well, let's see. Usually it opens with some pre-events on the Wednesday. So this next year will be on the 15th. And then the show itself opens on Thursday, runs for the day uh, with multiple tracks, usually things like cybersecurity, uh, practice management, uh, project management, and those kinds of things. And then a full day Friday, and then it concludes uh, as a half a day on Saturday. Um, and so most people typically, um, not typically, a lot of people go to kind of go through the uh, vendor hall. Uh, it's usually a pretty, um, it, well, let's see, it's almost, I think, at least for the last 10 years, been at the Hilton in Chicago, um, the one on South Michigan. So they have a pretty extensive uh, vendor hall, uh, and it's a great opportunity. The problem with the vendor hall is um, if you don't kind of know what you're there to look at, it can be a little overwhelming, um, and you might get kind of caught up in the first few vendors that you run into. Um, but this coming year, uh, in 2000, well, for the last uh, last year, immediately preceding the show, um, there the ABA uh, tech show folks allowed us to have a dean's roundtable. And that was a, a number of folks from different schools. My dean, Ellen Suny from UMKC, uh, Ron Stout at Chicago Kent, and it was hosted at Chicago Kent. Uh, Dan Linna from Michigan State University, um, um, and Bobby Audier from Emory uh, were panelists, along with Oliver Goodenough from Vermont. And I thought what made it interesting was, particularly with Emory's presence, it wasn't sort of a typical echo chamber of just schools who are kind of doing this stuff. It was really a bigger discussion about should we be teaching uh, technology. So there was a subsequent one at the ABA annual meeting in August, and then they've given us the opportunity to have a uh, academic track within the tech show itself. And Faye Jones, the director at University of Illinois, is actually going to sponsor the the show. And so what we've got set up is um, the cha- the chair of the ABA Tech Show has given us physical space within the Hilton to run our conference within a conference and allow us to go into the regular conference, participate in various tracks, and then come back and have an opportunity to um, discuss opportunities for teaching and what we could be teaching. There will be a whole bunch more information about this coming out in the next month. Um, but I, I'm particularly uh, pleased that Faye Jones has been able to help us um, by supporting, uh, uh, financially supporting this conference within a conference. 
that's fantastic. And I know I'm, I'm, I'm excited as a prior attendee of the tech show. It is, it's something that I think I've brought it, been able to learn a lot, bring a lot of practical things back when I teach sort of technology things. Um, I know we are um, sort of in our less than 10 minutes left, but I, I still want to talk about other things that six and um, a half minutes. Okay. Um, Well, just, you know, if there's a lightning round of, uh, you know, if we want to go around, like if there's one or two things people want to just sort of highlight as something that they've found, uh, you know, an organization, a resource, anything like that, you know, what do you, what have you found to be useful? Roger, I'm going to pick on you. Or, oh, Greg, I'll pick on you then. Okay. Yeah, pick on me. Um, Sorry. There's a, there's a couple that, I uh, go to you on and off um, Codex with K or C O D E X, which is mm-hmm. a Stanford University. Um, very high level um, technology in the in 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 law, um, and, but very good. Uh, a lot of these new products that you're talking about recently tend to come out of out of their uh, laboratory um, sponsored by them. Um, and then for uh, private law firms, uh, the, the go-to technology place is ILTA, the International Legal Technology Association. Um, and most of you, that uh, there should be some local chapter if you can't go to the one, – one of the bad things about the, the, the main conference of that is it's very long and it's a little bit more expensive than some of us may have budgeted for. Um, mm-hmm. But um, and and then there's one other thing that's up and coming, and I'd, I'd be remiss if I wasn't as the vice president of AAAL, not to say. <laughs> and that is the, uh, the there's a new special committee for an uh, innovations incubator uh, to come out of AAAL, um, and uh, Beth Williams from Stanford is going to be chairing that, and it's it's brand new, and I think there's going to be a lot of good ideas that are going to be focused on. Uh, law libraries and, and technology in, in the legal field. So, um, so we're we're not left out. And and somebody else will say this, but one of my favorite ones is is Cali. Um, but uh, I'll let somebody else talk about that. Oh, I was just going to say Cali. <laughs> um, this is Roger. I'll talk very briefly because less than five. I don't want to give everyone else a chance to talk. Um, Cali, Cali, Cali. Um, so those are three of the four. And then the fourth one is that. Um, Law schools can actually sign up for ILTA for a really low price, and in fact, your first year is free. So if anybody is out there thinking, like, what is this about, um, you can sign up. They keep sending me all kinds of things about opportunities and ways to connect to the local community and things. And there's a chapter here in Richmond um, that just changed um, chairs, so we're going to try to explore some ways to connect with them there to look to see what are firms talking about. And the nice thing about um, What's ILTA the members name is... Of that again? Oh, ILTA, International Legal Technology Association. Oh, yeah, right, right. right. Yep. And the nice thing about that is once you are a member, you can look to see who else is a member, and there's a lot of people on the membership list who are not attorneys. So you can kind of look to see what are the types of positions that people at big firms have, and it might be a way to connect with folks to see infrastructure, projects, initiatives, etc. So those are my two things, um, and I'll defer to anybody else on the panel. This is Darren. I can just add one real quick. Um, this is kind of a smaller one that might be easier for folks to get to, and that is just to look at your at your state bar association wherever you are, 
and see if they have a, a technology conference. And if they don't have a technology conference, then look at the solo and small practice uh, annual meeting if they have one, because that, like here in Oklahoma, Jim Calloway and you know and Darla do a fantastic job with that. And there's all, often heavy focus on technology to run your your small firm or your solo practice at that conference. And um, so that's a, a maybe an easier one to get to that um, can also, you know, really help you to inform your, your training, uh, the trainings that you're thinking about providing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's I've great. been to those, Darren, and, and one other thing that they have is lots of booze. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'll, I'll uh, jump in and just sort of plug a couple things. One is if, you, if you're if you teaching this and you use some, some of the specialized software, some of these vendors have their own dedicated conferences, like Clio has one, Clio Cloud. If you use Relativity eDiscovery software, there's Relativity Fest. Um, so those are all good things to keep your eye on. And, and they often will have academic pricing if you're an academic. Um, and I will make one last plug uh, and then I'll jump out of the way here is not for a conference, but we do have, as, as Michael mentioned, um, we have that flash meeting at AAAL. And one of the outcomes is that we are proposing a technology teaching technology caucus, which I've been told should be yeah. on the agenda for um, the fall board meeting of AAAL. But in the meantime, I have set up a community in my AAAL, my community, so we can start sharing some of this information um, there if people want to I'll try to throw up some links for things that people have talked about today in that in that my communities group oh that's terrific Elizabeth mm-hmm. um, I think that's a um, uh, it's going to be a really useful uh, caucus or SIS mm-hmm. or however it turns out um, because that is uh, clearly and um, you know, based on what I've learned uh, just listening to this conversation, an emerging specialty that all of us are going to be dealing with more and more. Well, so ends another exciting conversation um, on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, thank you very much, everybody who's listening, uh, for joining us. Thanks, Elizabeth, for uh, emceeing our main event. And thank you for our special guest, Mike, uh, Michael Roback, Darren Fox, for joining us. Um, thank you for, to all the special people that have been in the uh, chat room, been quite active. It's really fun to, to see that. Uh, Greg and Roger, Elizabeth and uh, Ken, thanks again. Until next time, happy trails. Well, that's it. We're done.